Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is the home of the President of the United States. 10 Downey Street is the home of the United Kingdom's Prime Minister. And 24 Sussex is the home to Canada's Prime Minister. Or at least it was. Today it is home to far too many corpses of rodents in the attic and basement. But from the 1950s to the 2010s, every single Prime Minister lived there except Kim Campbell and Justin Trudeau. A few weeks ago I was asked by former Deputy Prime Minister Sheila Copps about doing an episode on the historic building, and I thought that was a great idea. So let's dive into the history of 24 Sussex Drive in this bonus episode. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X. The story begins in 1866, one year before Canada became a country. Commissioned by Joseph Merrill Currier, the home was supposed to be a gift for his wife-to-be Hannah Wright. Joseph came to Canada in 1837 to make his fortune in the timber trade, and by the 1860s, he was one of the richest men in Ottawa. Interested in politics, he served on the city council in the 1860s and in 1863 was elected to the Legislative Assembly of the Province of Canada. Now the home was completed in 1868 and Joseph named it, and I will do my best to pronounce this, Gorfwishfa, which is Welsh for place of rest. The 35-room home had a basement, many staircases and an elevator, and it overlooked Governor Bay on 1.6 hectares of land on the banks of the Ottawa River. To celebrate the completion of 24 Sussex, the couple threw a party for 500 guests which included Prime Minister Sir John A. Macdonald and his wife Lady Macdonald. In 1870, a ballroom was added to entertain Prince Arthur, Queen Victoria's son, during his visit to Ottawa. And Joseph was able to enjoy the home for a few years until he passed away in 1884, but his wife Hannah enjoyed it for much longer. She lived until 1901, and upon her death the home was sold for $30,000, or about $1 million today, to William Edwards, a former member of Parliament who owned several sawmills in the area. When William died in 1921, his nephew, also a member of Parliament, Gordon Edwards, took over the house. Gordon lived in the house until 1943 when the federal government looked to consolidate ownership of Crown lands along the Ottawa River and told him to vacate, because they feared the commercialization of the shoreline. To prevent that, the federal government had already taken over almost all of the properties from the French Embassy to Earnscliffe, the former home of Sir John E. Macdonald, 
and Gordon refused to leave the home. The Canadian government offered him $125,000, and he demanded $251,000. The matter went to the courts, and eventually the price of $147,000 was settled on, but Gordon continued to live in the home on a month-to-month basis until he died three years later in 1946. And that's when the home briefly became the headquarters of the Australian High Commission. But then a few years later, it was given a new role, and one that made it one of the most famous addresses in Canada. Since 1867, Canadian Prime Ministers have lived in various locations across Ottawa. For the most part, Prime Ministers were simply expected to find their own accommodations. There was the farm, where Prime Minister William Lyne Mackenzie King lived beginning in 1927. He turned it into a year-round country retreat in 1935 with modern heating and plumbing. The Chateau Laurier, the grand upscale hotel made of limestone and overlooking the Rideau Canal, located less than a kilometre from Parliament Hill, was used as the home of R.B. Bennett, Prime Minister from 1930 to 1935. And through the years, various other homes, such as Laurier House, located in the Sandy Hill neighbourhood, were used as the homes of the Prime Minister prior to 1951. In fact, Laurier House was home to two of Canada's longest-serving Prime Ministers, Sir Wilfrid Laurier and William Lyne Mackenzie King, which meant that for over 50 years, the Second Empire Mansion in downtown Ottawa was at the heart of Canadian political life. When King died, the cabinet briefly considered making it the permanent official residence of the Prime Minister. Instead, the government turned its sights on the newly acquired 24 Sussex Drive, and in 1948, the Toronto architectural firm Allward and Gonlock were hired to renovate the building. A total of $500,000, or about $6.3 million today, was spent on renovations. And as Prime Minister Louis Saint Laurent prepared to move into the new residence, there was criticism by some in the public over the cost of improving the home. The Conservative opposition at the time were not happy, and Rodney Admondson, a progressive Conservative MP from York West, stated it would have been cheaper to simply build a new residence. In preparation to make 24 Sussex into an official residence, the following features of the home were removed. The turret, the widow's walk, the main gable at the front of the house, the veranda bay windows, wood paneling, several fireplaces, and the elaborate wooden trim. The interior was essentially gutted except for part of the dining room to allow for an extension to the east side of the building. And once completed, the home had the following features. Support rooms in the basement, and the layout of the main floor included a dining room, living room, kitchen, and Prime Minister's library. On the second floor, the primary bedroom, family room, and the office of the spouse of the Prime Minister were located. On the third floor, there were additional bedrooms and a private study for the Prime Minister. Then, Prime Minister Saint Laurent's office made a point of stating that establishing an official residence was not his idea, nor did he suggest or even promote the idea. He also insisted that he pay $5,000 per year in rent to live there, and that amounts to about $5,000 per month today. When Louis Saint Laurent and his wife finally moved into the 24 Sussex, they brought nothing with them. His wife Jean stated, Everything's arranged. It's like moving into a hotel. Most of the furnishings were provided from the Crown Collection for use in the public rooms. Everything from musical instruments and chairs to paintings became part of the residence. Visitors would find many vases filled with purple irises, roses on the piano, and a plaque over the doorway that said, God bless our home. At the time, Christina Newman, a journalist with Maclean's and the Globe and Mail, wrote of the house, quote, It had an eclectic blandness, much like a shop window at Eaton's College Street. 
Upon taking residence, the Prime Minister and his wife held a housewarming party and Saint Laurent began to pay $5,000 rent on his annual salary of $15,000. And the practice of paying rent lasted until 1971. Now, Despite their official residence being in Ottawa, both Louis and his wife still considered themselves to be Quebec residents. Jean said, I still want to die in our home in Quebec City. And her wish came true, because in 1966, she died in Quebec City, as did Louis in 1973. But this is the story of the official residence of the Prime Minister. And so, in 1953, two years after the couple moved in, the address changed from 24 Sussex Street to 24 Sussex Drive. Louis Saint Laurent and his wife lived in 24 Sussex Drive until 1957, when John Diefenbaker and the Progressive Conservatives won the federal election. And when Diefenbaker moved in with his wife Olive, he wrote to his brother calling his new home a fairy place. And to make it their own, the couple closed the fireplaces to prevent cold winter drafts from entering the building. They painted the dining room, changing it from red to blue, and a stuffed moose head was added to one of the interior walls. This is such a beautiful staircase. I love this. I, 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 this is, to me, one of the loveliest things in the house. It's the kind of staircase you could come floating down wearing a ball gown. I say it's the kind of house somebody should get married. It's the kind of stairway someone should get married down. I think it would be a lovely stairway for a bride. You often come floating down wearing a ball gown? Uh, I often come down wearing a ball gown. Whether I float is another matter. Oh, this is the dining room, uh, Joyce. I think it's pretty. It's a rather um, formidable table, I think. Not really. It, it extends to a bigger size. It than becomes even more formidable. It holds 24. Most crowded and at its fullest extent. Uh, when we're alone, we have we eat at the little table in the alcove. Because of the threat of nuclear war was all too real for that time, a fallout shelter was also built. In 1961, Diefenbaker said, "It was suggested to me that we should have a shelter there, a shelter really protective to the nth degree. That is where I shall be when and if war should come." Diefenbaker and six of his cabinet ministers even ran a nuclear attack simulation at the home to see if they could get to the fallout shelter in time. When Lester B. Pearson became Prime Minister in 1963, he and his wife Marion made further changes. They decorated the home with furnishings from across the country and added paintings from the National Gallery. The back patio was given an enclosure so it could be used longer and in cooler months, and Marion created the Canadiana room in the basement where she collected Canadian antiques. And despite her changes, she felt that the home needed further renovations as it was already starting to show its age and said it would be more practical to tear it down and just begin again. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high-adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? 
Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Seriously, do you think that this house means to Canadians what, uh, we'll say, 10 Downing Street means to the British and um, the White House to Americans? No, I don't think it does. Not yet. I think in time it may, but this house is only 11 or 12 years old. And uh, White House is 150 years old. Mm-hmm. That, that street is hundreds of years old. This house is not old enough to be traditional yet, so I don't think it does mean as much to Canadians. Was it built to be a house for the Prime Minister? No, it was remodeled from an old house that was here, and they kept the stone walls of the outside and redid the inside, which was quite a difficult architectural problem, and it might have been more practical to tear it all down and begin again. The arrival of Pierre Trudeau at the residence in 1968 brought more changes to the home. The so-called Canadiana room was gone and turned into a place where musicians could play complete with a lighting system. He said, Why should it be a shabby place? It shouldn't be. It's the showplace of Canada and to leaders abroad. Much like Marianne before her, the wife of Pierre Trudeau, Margaret Trudeau, wasn't enamored with the building either. She said it was the crown jewel of the federal penitentiary system and that it felt like living in a prison. In 1975, a pool was built. Reportedly costing $275,000, the funds were raised by Keith Davey, the national campaign director of the Liberal Party, and donors for the project were never made public. This caused a great deal of debate, but Trudeau called it a necessity in the hot Ottawa summers. The pool may have been controversial, but it soon became a favorite feature for Prime Ministers and their families. Despite that costly addition to the property, Trudeau was famously frugal when it came to renovating 24 Sussex. In 1982, when Queen Elizabeth II came to Canada for the repatriation of the Constitution, Buckingham Palace told the Canadian government the monarch needed her own room and private bathroom at 24 Sussex. She was given the upstairs library, which had its own bathroom. That room had some very ugly wallpaper, and it was suggested it be changed for the Queen, but Trudeau refused to do the relatively low-cost change. Also, this is when the current Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, first lived in the home along with his brothers. Justin described the top floor as rarely used, filled with musty old guest rooms. They moved out in 1979 and those rooms were later converted into proper bedrooms during the Brian Mulroney tenure as Prime Minister from 1984 to 1993. But before that happened, Joe Clark and his family moved into the home in 1979. Movers began hauling the Clark's furniture into 24 Sussex Drive early this morning. Pierre Trudeau's had been moved out on the weekend. Although the Clark belongings fit into just two medium-sized moving vans, the couple won't have to worry about filling all 35 rooms in the Prime Minister's official residence. It's already well-stocked with government-owned furniture and antiques. Nearby this morning at the Clark's former house, Stornoway, movers were busy inside packing a few remaining boxes. Public works officials planned some improvements to Stornoway before the new tenant, 
Opposition leader Pierre Trudeau moves in in a couple of weeks. For one thing, they'll try and rid the house of silfish and an overly friendly family of skunks. But while the Clarks won't have to contend with those particular pests anymore, they may run into some new ones at 24 Sussex Drive. The Prime Minister's official residence is reportedly plagued with weevils. Bill Casey, CBC News, Ottawa. They didn't have much time at 24 Sussex. In fact, they only lasted less than a year, and their contribution to the home was gold leafing in the dining room ceiling, which was repurposed from another project. That's because in 1980, Pierre Trudeau and his family moved back into the home for another four years after the Liberal election win, followed by another short residency by Prime Minister John Turner, who lived at 24 Sussex during the summer of 1984. At the time, he asked what needed to be done to renovate the home, and he was told it would cost $600,000 to modernize it. When Brian Mulroney became Prime Minister in September 1984, he authorized $100,000 for renovations. He was also the first Prime Minister to make the costs of renovations public, and it quickly caused controversy since the costs were paid by the PC Canada Fund, which raised money from donations to fund the Progressive Conservative Party. And that would be the last major renovation to 24 Sussex because, from this point on, renovations became a political hot potato and opposition parties could use them to attack Prime Ministers who supported them. On July 28, 1986, 24 Sussex became a classified Federal Heritage Building, the highest category in the Federal Heritage Building's review office. And on June 13, 1993, Mulroney resigned and Kim Campbell came into power. She also has the distinction of being the first Prime Minister since 1951 not to live at 24 Sussex. Instead, she lived at Harrington Lake, the summer residence of the Prime Minister because Brian Mulroney had moved out at 24 Sussex and she lost the subsequent election only 132 days later. Now aside from stories about renovation costs, one incident stands out among all others, and that happened while Jean Chrétien was Prime Minister. From 1993 to 2003, Jean Chrétien lived at 24 Sussex and arguably the most famous incident at the home took place two years into his residency. On November 5, 1995, six days after the Quebec referendum, which sought an independent Quebec, was won by Chrétien's Liberal Party, a man named André Delaire broke into 24 Sussex Drive. Just after 2am, the man arrived outside the home of the Prime Minister and spent 20 minutes throwing stones on the grounds and waving at security cameras while carrying a pocket knife. He then climbed the fence and walked over to the house where he smashed a glass door and entered. He wandered around the basement and ground floor for about 30 minutes. He then headed towards the Chrétien's bedroom and that's where he was confronted by Aline Chrétien as he was putting on gloves. Afraid and Aline ran back to the bedroom, locked the door and woke her husband, Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, who didn't believe her and told her she was just having a dream. She then dialed the RCMP who were outside the house. One of the most well-known parts of the story involves either Jean or Aline holding an Inuit stone sculpture of a loon in defense in case Dallaire broke through that door. But Dallaire didn't attempt that. Instead, he waited outside the bedroom door for seven minutes. That's how long it took RCMP officers to arrive after the call was made because the first officer had forgotten his key to the residence, and the man was subsequently arrested. Dallaire claimed he'd heard voices that led him to break into 24 Sussex Drive, and at trial, Justice Paul Belanger agreed with Dallaire's earlier diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia and found Dallaire guilty of attempted murder but not criminally responsible. The man believed he was a secret agent who was avenging the loss of the referendum and if he killed Chrétien, he'd be a hero. 
The trial also brought to light the security camera footage of Dallaire freely roaming the property while RCMP officers were asleep at their desk instead of monitoring the cameras. After an investigation, four officers were suspended for several months while three supervisors were reassigned. Dallaire meanwhile entered treatment and in 1998 he apologized for his behavior, ensuring Canadians that he was now on medication and he hoped that the Chrétiens could forgive his actions. Chrétien announced that he would step down as Prime Minister in the spring of 2004 and the Liberal Party called a leadership convention for the fall of 2003 to be held in Toronto. On September 21, 2003, Paul Martin defeated his sole remaining opponent, former Deputy Prime Minister Sheila Copps, yes, the same person who suggested today's story. Paul Martin was then Prime Minister from 2003 to 2006. And during this time, comedian, television personality, political satirist, and author Rick Mercer filmed a spot for the Rick Mercer Report. In it, Mercer tours 21st Sussex and points out all of the many disrepairs from spots on the carpet to drafty windows, and in fact as part of the shoot, Mercer helps Martin put shrink wrap over the back window to keep out those winter winds. And we're looking for uh, the super plastic that you put over the windows and you put it on with a hairdryer. You sound like you really know what you're talking about. Oh, I've done this before. Well, because if you live in St. John's, all the houses are so old that it doesn't matter what, you know, type of house you live in. You, you have plastic up to your windows. Keeping those winds out was important because as legend has it, during that first night as Prime Minister, the furnace failed and Paul and his wife, Sheila Martin, had to keep warm by wearing sweaters and vests through the night. In 2006, Stephen Harper won the election and moved into 24 Sussex. He resided there until 2015 and actively resisted any repairs to the building beyond some painting and patching. He agreed to replace rotting kitchen pipes and fixed or bought new appliances. Oh, and he finally replaced the carpets. But there's no way of knowing if they were the ones Mercer mocked a few years earlier. All those items cost less than $15,000. The National Capital Commission requested renovations in 2008 and 2011, but these were turned down by Harper. On May 6, 2008, the Auditor General reported the house was in poor condition and needed about $10 million in repairs and upgrades, which would require at least 12 to 15 months of full access to complete. And to date, Harper is the last Prime Minister to live at 24 Sussex Drive. In October 2015, Brian Boomler estimated $15 million might be necessary to properly renovate the residence and the NCC devised a plan for major renovations which would require 18 months. On November 4, 2015, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau took over as Prime Minister, but he doesn't live at 24 Sussex. Instead, he lives at Rideau Cottage, traditionally inhabited by people associated with the Governor-General of Canada. Unlike 10 Downey Street and the White House, 24 Sussex was not designed to have an executive function. Instead, it was meant as a residence for Prime Ministers and their families and a place to hold social functions and there's rarely been a televised look inside the residence beyond one by Olive Diefenbaker in the 1950s, another by Maureen McTeer when her husband Joe Clark was Prime Minister, and Marianne Pearson in the 1960s. This lack of access to the home created a disconnect between Canadians and 24 Sussex. Rick Mercer had three televised visits including a sleepover in 2006 when Stephen Harper was Prime Minister. Mercer's been a vocal critic of the fact the home has fallen into disrepair. He stated it defied logic and added, there's not a single homeowner in this country who does not understand that if you have a hole in your roof, you have one priority in your life and that is to get that hole patched. There is no scenario where you leave that hole, because water will destroy your entire home. Mercer hoped to spark outrage after he heard that the building was in a state of disrepair. He called it ridiculous and short-sighted to refuse repairs. He said, 
You're basically throwing up your hands and saying Canadians aren't sophisticated enough to understand that the roof getting fixed is not money going into my personal pocket. The home has been described as drafty and leaky. It's not uncommon to see pots and pans on the floor to catch water dribbling from the ceiling during a rainy day. Other issues include the wiring that is a fire hazard, mold in the basement and asbestos in the walls. The rooms have been described as freezing in the winter and very hot in the summer since there's no central air conditioning. Despite the Official Residences Act, which obligates the government to fully fund maintenance at 4% replacement value annually, this has never actually been done and the property has not seen a significant investment in 60 years. So what is to happen with the historic building? Since 2001, very little has been spent on the upkeep of 24 Sussex. As that was 22 years ago, the building has become worn and outdated. In 2021, a report stated renovations including a 370 square foot expansion of the main building to improve access would cost $36.6 million. In May 2023, work began to remove asbestos from the property and remove the electrical, heating and mechanical systems as they were deemed fire hazards. Today, the former home of the Prime Minister is infested with rodents. The walls, attics and basements are filled with rodent carcasses and excrement. So will a Prime Minister ever live there again? It's hard to say. Though they bring calls to demolish it and rebuild, while others want it designated as a federal heritage building. So what do I think should be done? Well, personally, I think it should be saved, even if a Prime Minister never lives there again. Maybe I'm biased. I'm all about preserving Canadian history after all. But it's part of our history and the saying goes, if these walls could talk, what would the walls of 24 Sussex say? It's been witnesses to presidents, prime ministers and royalty. It's a part of our heritage. And if a prime minister will never live there again, then at least turn it into a museum. So the Canadians can always have a home to go to when they want to connect with their political past. I hope you enjoyed that bonus episode of 24 Sussex. Information from Canada's History, Canadian Encyclopedia, Regina Leader Post, Wikipedia, Sioux Star, Globe and Mail, National Capital Commission, National Post, Parks Canada, Canadian Architect, The Washington Post, and Maclean's. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of Dila Velasquez. Audio production and design by Rosalind Kufor. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com, or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.